गुरुर्ब्रह्मा गुरुर्विष्णुर्गुरुदेव महेश्वर गुरु साक्षात्ब्रह्मा तस्म श्री गुरव नम आई बाउ टू माई गुरु एज ब्रह्मन एज शिव एज विष्णु एज ऑल एंड एज यू बिकॉज आई सी माई गुरु इन यू I don't see you mind you I'm not talking to a lens I'm talking to you as a person but I'm talking to him through you because what I want to do is with his grace to help you to understand that what he saw in you was the divine I want to do that I do do that 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 divine one is in you trying to break out of its shell trying to understand that you are not this ego that you are not this body that you are infinite and you know sometimes he would play with us i've given you a few examples and i hope you don't begin thinking that he was did nothing but a tease but he was also a tease and delightfully so i'd like to read you a little story it was quite fun i wasn't there but one of the nuns told me about this one time while traveling by car with a group of nuns The master made them stop by the roadside on a main highway, get out, and consume a large, very juicy watermelon. He cut it into unwieldy pieces, which made sure the juice got all over their arms, hands, and faces. Not the sort of spectacle that women, especially young ones, like to present for public inspection. The master was con- was unconcerned for their embarrassment. They too after their initial shock accepted the situation with good humor. It was really delightful to see how he would play with people. There's a lovely story in the uh in my book The Path which is my autobiography and also a book about my mainly a book about my life with him. One time we were out of the desert a, a, another disciple and I, I was not so big he was a giant of a man but the two of us were emptying a swimming pool and uh master used to say it increased the real estate value of the property but uh, i never saw him swim in this pool nonetheless i think it was a way of keeping us out there with him and giving us an excuse to be there with him at any rate after we dug out this pool i remember norman this brother disciple of mine looking at the hole he said god what a hole but the fruits of that labor were in little mounds all over the desert we'd been working very hard all morning and it was lunchtime and we were starving just then master came out and said oh those mounds don't look very attractive i wonder if we can't see whether there's a method of leveling them he said go and get a 2x4 so we went and got a 2x4 a long piece of wood and then he had me on one end and norman at the other and this way moving it back and forth toward us we sort of leveled this mound and uh uh we thought oh well at least now he knows it works and we can go have our lunch and uh he said good i thought that would work let's see let's see if it will work over here and uh when he finished that when he said just one more just one more just one more after about 5 or 6 i don't really know how many Norman even who was big as he was was starting to pant and groan 
because uh, he was taking it too seriously, you see. Well, fortunately, uh, I reached a point. You see, Master often brought us in his testing to the breaking point, because at that point you show not only what you are, but what you, you, you affirm something, if you can, that will make you stronger. And at a certain point, um, I broke in the sense that I stood up and laughed. I realized what a joke it was. And then Master smiled and he said, I was just playing with you. He said, all right, go have your lunch. Well, in these ways, he used to, used to play with us. And it's important to understand that what the Guru did was not just an important thing in itself. It was almost always with some ulterior motive. It was to help you to grow. He was watching your reactions. He, doesn't, he wasn't so concerned about the mounds of earth. As one of our mottos in our Ananda communities is, people are more important than things. That means people are more important than projects. And this is how he treated each of us. He would put us in work that was not necessarily anything we were competent at. For example, I was, I have to admit, a lousy carpenter. I would hit at a nail nine times before I finally hit the nail, and half the time it would bend. And uh, no, I was not an asset to the organization as a carpenter, but it helped to give me the capacity. You see, I would, I would, uh, after a while, this sort of cloud of despair would come over my mind because I just didn't have what it took to saw a straight line, drive a straight nail, and yet by doing what I had to do and doing it willingly and singing to God, these were the ways that we grew, and that I certainly can say that it helped me a great deal. So in these ways, the guru is not just there sitting on a mountaintop declaiming great truths. He's bringing that reaction out of you that will help you to respond in such a way that overcomes things in yourself. I'll never forget, there was, because he had put me in charge of the monks, and so, of course, I had a position of responsibility and uh, I would like to think perhaps a certain respect, but there was another uh, of the monks who was in another center who wanted somehow to impress Master about what a great leader he was. And uh, we were at some sort of a function, and this man made a great point of ordering me around. Well, I was happy to be ordered around because it was my way of serving Master. So he would say, go get Master a glass of water, very peremptorily, as if ordering me. And uh, I just joyfully did it, because it was uh, anything that emphasizes humility is going to make you bigger, not smaller. And Master played the role marvelously. I couldn't, I couldn't help smiling inside, because when this man uh, told me, get Master a blanket and so on, and I happily went to get him, and then I gave Master a blanket, and Master looked at me with this contempt, as if to try to bring out of me a, a reaction of, wait a minute, you know, what's he doing to me like this? I'm just as good as he, I'm, in fact, I'm in charge. I didn't like that consciousness, and the reason I didn't was entirely selfish. No virtue involved, I just realized that I was happy when I didn't think about myself. And I was unhappy when I thought about my position and my protecting my position, who is he to rival my position? All those thoughts that come to the ego. 
Your renunciation in spirit has to be renunciation of self. And he would play on that. The more you were willing, the more he would emphasize it. Sri Yukteswar would somehow treat him like dirt. But it was to free him of any sense, because he knew, well, he was a master already. It was a part of the game. I know him telling me one time, well, the masters, they play. The masters and their disciples, it's really a play, but it's to help others to understand. So he was helping others to understand how, by master's reaction, he was showing the right mood of a disciple, the right attitude of a disciple. But he was also helping Master. You see, Master had a very tender heart. He loved everybody, just genuinely. He was so sweet, so really humble and kind. And he had to come to the West where people were, many of them just, they didn't have any understanding of those attitudes especially in America. Back in the early 20s, 30s, there was a lot of ego there and self-importance, and many people betrayed him. And he would give his love to these people, and it, it was not egoic love, and yet surely there's a hurt when you give love and you find it treated like dirt. And so Sri Yukteswar was training him to become strong in himself. And one time there were hundreds of people out there, and Sri Yukteswar asked him, I told you this a few weeks ago, I think, too. Go and get me a glass of water. So Master happily got up and went and fetched him a glass of water. And as he came back, he tripped a little bit and didn't trip, but he turned the corner of a rug over. And Sri Yukteswar, with a great expression of contempt, look at that lout. Everybody laughed. And Master told me, I looked at them and I, I thought, not one of you has what I have. But you see, we need to accept the humiliations of life with equanimity. We aren't important. You have to have your certain dignity, yes. But you have more dignity in allowing whatever happens to happen. What comes of itself, he used to say, let it come. The more, no matter how, how people treat you, the more you remain calm in yourself. There's another story in the path about one time when my guru was, there was a, he was the founder of a school of the Yoga Vidyalaya in Ranchi, Bihar. And when he came back to India in 1935, they had a big function. Everybody said to go to Guru Das Banerjee, who was a judge in the area, who was very highly respected, and ask him if he wouldn't come to preside over the function. So Master went to him. And... Uh, he asked him if he would come, and Gurudas Banerjee, instead of responding the way he'd expect him to, started in on the sadhus of India and what a bunch of hypocrites they are, and he was seeing a perfect example of this useless hypocrisy in front of him today, and no, he would have absolutely nothing to do with anything to do with religion and these sadhus, so-called holy men. And with that, Master just very respectfully and kindly said, well, if you change your mind, I would be very pleased. And he left. And they asked the headmaster of a school to uh, preside over the function. Well, a beautiful thing happened. The function had started. The headmaster was just about to get up when a car drove up. And this Gurudas Banerjee stepped out. And he came up 
And he said that uh, when your guru came, I was so well impressed, I decided to test him and see if he was really as joyful and innocent and sweet as he appeared. And I must say that he passed my test more than I imagined possible. They had been talking about how many of the students had gone on to become monks and so on. And he said, never mind those people. He said, if you can produce one man like this Yogananda, this Swami Yogananda, not only your school, but this whole country, will be glorified. This kind of absolute sweetness, humility, not ever thinking, oh, I am this position, you should look up, none of that. He didn't exist. He used to say, I killed Yogananda long ago. No one lives in this temple now but God. And I lived with him closely for three and a half years. And I saw him under many, many different circumstances. He was always the same, always sweet. And one of the qualities that I saw that I found the most wonderful about him was he was always respectful. Usually you think a great man doesn't respect others because they think that respect is something that must be won. It didn't have to be won for him because he respected everybody as a child of God. He saw that same one God in everyone. God is helping God. God is serving God. He never accepted us as disciples. He said, you are God's disciples. God is the guru, not I. And so with that absolute respect, whenever we would touch his feet, which we did with great devotion, he would always hold his hand like this to direct our, to show that he directed our devotion toward God. And devotion in itself didn't mean anything. If it was just an outward display, he watched the heart. How the heart was, was much more important than outward displays. Oh, Guruji, how great you are. Oh, none of that didn't impress him at all. But I remember one time in my meditation feeling a certain increase of humility and going to him for his blessing. And he, he knew my thoughts. When I touched his feet, he touched me on the head. He said, very good. He answered the thoughts. He talked to our thoughts. When I said to him one time, I used to say to him in meditation, help me to love you as you love me. He saw me a few days later. He said, how can the little cup hold the whole ocean? Become the ocean, then you can hold the same amount of water. You can't have the devotion and the love of a guru until you become the guru. That's his job, to help you to become one with him. The guru is not there to make you a slave. The guru is there to make you one with him. This is what Swami Shankaracharya said, that the goal of it all is to become one with the same God. But we have to have, to find that, a sense of joy in life. That's why I wrote this song, The Secret of Laughter. 
lies in the laughing, not in the search for joy. We must have that sense of laughter, so that when he pushes you to your limit, you don't stand up and say, oh, what have you done? You stand up and laugh. That's what he liked. Joy to you. The secret of laughter lies in the laughing, not in the search for joy. It's a swallow winging on the wind, it's innocence in a boy. Singing, not in the songs unwelcome, but never crave. If you think that laughter lies in things, to things you'll be but a slave. Joy will come to anyone whose soul has learned to fly. And you'll never sing You could win the world And still be poor Win peace and live like a king Sunshine, sing when the rain falls, sing when your road seems strange. In a tempest, seize the lightning flash and ride the winds of change.